Do you guys know that song? Um, do they know it's Christmas? Do they know it's Christmas? Um, I'll actually read some of the lyrics. Maybe you'll, you know, it'll come to you. I'm not going to sing it, but um, I'll just read through it. You know, uh, it's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. At Christmas time, we let in light and we banish shade. And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. But say a prayer, pray for the other ones. At Christmas time, it's hard, but when you're having fun, there's a world outside your window, and it's a world of dread and fear, where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. Sting actually sings that part, by the way. Uh, and the Christmas bells that ring there are the clanging chimes of doom. Well, tonight, thank God, it's them instead of you. And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. The greatest gift they'll get this year is life. Where nothing ever grows, nor no rain, nor rivers flow, do they know it's Christmas time at all? You know, do they know? You know that part, right? So if you, you know, hopefully that, that rings something, that rings a bell in your head. And um, I remember thinking a while back, and I didn't really know, I don't know much about this song, but it comes on the radio every Christmas, you know, or it, come, it, it appears on your Christmas playlist. And I remember listening to this song, and I think, this is kind of a weird Christmas song, right? It's not really about the typical things that Christmas songs are about, like Frosty the Snowman or, or Santa Claus or Jingle Bells, like these kinds of things that have to do with winter or snow or family or even Chris, Christian um, Christmas songs that have to do, obviously, with the birth of Jesus. It's a song about Christmas— but it's a song about people who are suffering during Christmas. And I, I didn't know much about this song. I did a little bit of research. It was written in 1984. It was a song written for charity. It was one of those things where a bunch of artists came together, and they were trying to raise money because there was a famine in Ethiopia at the time. And so they wrote this song. And it's kind of a song about, hey, yeah, while you're celebrating at Christmas and you're having a good time, just remember that there are people in other parts of the world who are suffering. And I thought it's very interesting because it demonstrates something that we sense, I think, during this season. And for those of you who've been here, you know, we've been discussing this season of awe and wonder, that there is something in us that gets stirred up and I like to think of it now, you know, being a parent, like when I look at um, my kids and see them, there's something in their faces when they see all the, you know, the other day actually, or yesterday, you know, some of the parents, we took our kids to go see Christmas lights. And when they see it and when they look at it, actually, we were walking all up and down this neighborhood and we stopped at this one place. They were doing a live nativity. Have you guys ever seen that? A live nativity? So it's a bunch of people who are, it, it's not a, I didn't really know what it was before because Boomi had told me, hey, let's go watch a live nativity. I'm like, what do you, what do they do? Is it a, is it a play? Like what's happening? But no, it's essentially people just posing, right? Like they're just posing as in the nativity scene, and so there's somebody who's the Mary, you know, and there's someone who's the Joseph, and there was a baby that was the Jesus there, and there, and there were they had animals, like real animals there, and I would, I saw it, and it was very interesting, 
I thought, wow, I've, I haven't really seen anything like this. Somebody just outside their house doing a, a live nativity for, for people who are passing by. And one thing I love to do in these kinds of situations is I'll look at people's faces. So everyone's looking at it, and then I was looking at the faces of, like, kids and people passing by, and you see the kids, and their, their eyes get really big, and they're very just into it. You see that face of awe. It's like, oh, this is, this is so different. I haven't seen something like this and this wonder. And the interesting thing is you look at some parents, and they also have that face. Like they'll see something, and they'll go, oh, wow, look at that giant inflatable snowman over there or all those reindeer that are arranged on that uh, lawn. And they kind of have this, look, something in them. And I'd love to go into someone's brain when they're making that face because, you know, they must be remembering something or thinking about something or some kind of nostalgia is being stirred up in them. So there's that feeling. And we talked about this last week, but sometimes when that feeling is heightened, when our joy and our hope are heightened, the sense that something's wrong is also heightened. The disparity also becomes more apparent to us. When there are pictures of family, when there are pictures of people doing things together, and there's this picture of what an ideal Christmas might look like, then we become more aware of that, which is not that way in our lives. We were talking about that last week and how God speaks to us comfort in our weariness, you know, from Isaiah 40, how we can Rest assured knowing that God is ultimately gracious. He's infinitely glorious. He strengthens us in our weariness. But something the song illustrates beyond even our personal sense of that is that we can feel like things are not right in the world. Right? Sometimes, and you can get this sense of maybe maybe guilt. Well, I'm sitting here, you know, giving and receiving gifts and having this kind of idyllic life. And somebody out there, some people out there are going through something very difficult. There is a sense of injustice or inequity in the world. Now, that sense may be stronger today than ever. Maybe, I, I'm not sure if it's because there actually is more injustice, but maybe it's because we are more aware than ever. And the question is, what does God promise his people in light of this disparity, in light of this injustice or inequity to give them hope? Like, what does he promise? What does he say? What can we latch our hope onto so that in, when those things are heightened— when the feelings are heightened, both of our joy, but also the sense that maybe there are people out there, maybe there are people even not out there, but near us who we see who are facing some kind of injustice or inequity or oppression. Um, What hope is offered? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's... um, Let's open them up to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. So we're going to stay in Isaiah. We were in Isaiah last week. The book of Isaiah, 
chapter 11. And um, we'll read all the way through, you know, the whole thing, verse 16. Well, I hope we get through all of it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. We'll take it piece by piece. And this is God's word, and it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Okay, let's stop there for a second. I just want to, if you weren't here last week, I want to give you a quick reminder of what the book of Isaiah is about. Isaiah is really about two things. It's about judgment and hope. So it's about the Isaiah prophesies about the judgment of God that's coming. Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to conquer Judah. They're, you know, about 100 years before that's going to happen. And Isaiah is prophesying, and he's saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. We are not doing the right thing. We're not worshiping the right way. There's a lot of uh, injustice among the people of Israel, the people of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Isaiah is saying, hey, God's going to, you know, God's going to bring his judgment. And, um... If you remember, we talked about this last week, but Isaiah 6, the call of Isaiah, God says, you're going to proclaim this, this message, this oracle of judgment, and people aren't really going to listen to it. And so eventually the kingdom's going to fall. And so that's what Isaiah is preaching. But in between these oracles of judgment, God promises this deliverance. He says, yeah, but something's going to happen. But there's going to be deliverance. Even after all the things happen, there's going to be some deliverance. And so that's that's the context in which we pick up here. And remember, God talks about Israel being a tree. There's this picture of Israel as a tree. And he says, because you guys are being unrighteous, I'm going to chop that tree down. And all that's going to be left is a stump. And then that's, that's right what we pick up right here. He says in verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So he says, all that's left is this stump, right? Like the big tree is gone. All that's left is, is the stump. But out of that stump is going to come a, a shoot, like a, a branch. And this one branch that comes out is going to bear fruit. So somewhere down the line, after God sends his judgment, after these things happen, and after Israel as a nation is torn down, God will still be faithful to his promise and this goes all the way back to King David, you know, hundreds of years earlier, who he promised his line would continue forever. Jesse is the, is the father of David. Right now, and it's interesting also that God promises that this will come from the stump of Jesse and not from the stump of David, because he could say that, right? David was a king, the second king of Israel. He was like the best king, basically. He did everything right. The Bible calls him, well, he didn't do everything right, but he was, he was a good, generally good guy. Uh, the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. But he says, out of the stump of Jesse, some, somebody's going to come. Right? So what can, we, what can we latch our hope onto? God is speaking to a people who is in this context of injustice, who is actually facing the judgment of God, and he gives them this message. Here's the first thing he, he says. He promises the arrival of a humble yet powerful king. 
That's what he's promising here. He's saying out of the stump, out of every, all the destruction and everything that's torn down, the shoot of Jesse is going to come out. So somebody from this kingly line is going to come out. And they're going to be a humble king. Because like, that's why he mentions Jesse. Jesse was not a particularly uh, special person. He was, a, he was a farmer and a shepherd. He had eight sons. His youngest son was David. That was the one who became king. There was no royal heritage or lineage. He wasn't part of a big family. He didn't have any wealth. He didn't come from any power. He was just a, a humble guy who raised a humble kid, David, who became the king. And he says, out of that line, this, this humble yet powerful king is going to come. A king who's different, a king who's not just seeking power, a king who's not an oppressor, a king who is not just looking for um, approval from the world, but it's a king upon whom, verse 2, it says, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord is going to rest upon him. That's going to be what makes him different. Now, um, this is important for us, I think. Because today it's hard to trust justice from the world, from our leaders or politicians. It seems like, and maybe even a lot more now than about 20 or 30 years ago, there's a lot of mistrust for kind of elected officials or leaders. It's... Scandal after scandal, it's, you know, disappointment after disappointment. And sometimes you think, like, ah, oh, how could they do that or say that? A lot of times I'll watch the news and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this person is fill in the blank, fill in the blank whatever, whatever position. Um, and we can become jaded, just like the Israelites did. Uh, what's the point? You know, what is all this? I always, I take solace, and I remember John Piper wrote this a couple of years ago, but he said, one day America and all its presidents will be a footnote in history, but God's kingdom will never end. And I, I love that quote. You know, um, it really puts things in a different perspective. So this, this humble, powerful king is going to come who embodies something completely different than the world's version of a, of a leader, of a powerful leader, right? So we can latch on to that promise. Now he goes on, and he says, And his delight, this king's delight, shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So this king, this, this wise and powerful and humble king, he's going to bring with him this perfect justice. Right? He's not going to judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear. He's not just going to judge by what appears to be the case according to the senses, the human senses, but he's going to judge with righteousness. He's going to judge with righteousness. He'll judge the poor. He'll decide with equity. He'll, um, uh, for the meek of the earth, and he'll strike the wicked. 
Right? It says, he'll strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Because, all because, verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So what he'll care about the most is not what people think, is not what people say, is not gaining some kind of power or influence in the world. What he'll care about the most is the fear of the Lord. That will be his delight. So God promises, he says, I'm going to send this king, this humble king in power who's going to come. And he, he promises that when he comes, he'll bring with him this perfect justice, a justice not based on what we know just in our world, but a different kind of greater heavenly justice, right? And then he talks about what it's going to be like. It says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. That already is, like, weird, right? It sounds crazy, kind of. The wolf and the lamb will be together, the leopard is going to hang out with the goat, right? And then, at the end of uh, verse 6, and a little child shall lead them. Verse 7, the cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, an adder's a snake type of snake. Uh, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this humble, powerful, humble yet powerful king, he will bring with him this perfect justice and he will bring a perfect peace also. That there is going to be, he's actually going to restore harmony to the whole world. Even predators in nature are not going to be at war with each other. They're not going to try to kill each other. Right? You know, the, the Lion King will be boring in this, <laughs> in this kind of, World, because everyone's just going to hang out, right? Like, everyone's hanging out together. You know, the Jungle Book also will be boring because a little kid's going to come out and lead them. Everyone's just hanging out together. Nobody's mad at anyone. No one's trying to kill anyone. They're all just having fun. They're living in harmony, living in peace. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Why? In verse 9, it says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Because everyone's going to know God. And so there's going to be this this perfect peace. So a humble, powerful, just king who brings a perfect peace is coming. He's going to right every wrong. Two implications for that for us um, of this just king who's coming. It means hope for all the oppressed. Right? It means if you're oppressed... If you are the victim of injustice, it means hope. But it also means judgment for all the oppressors. Right? It also means it's a warning. If you're an oppressor, if you are a perpetrator of injustice, then be careful. So I remember one time I uh, was coming back from a retreat. And um, I don't remember exactly the situation or why this was the situation, but I didn't have my car. And I had parked my car at home. And um, Boomy, you know, we're married now, but we weren't, I don't think we were even dating then. But for some reason, we had carpooled, and she parked her car at my house. Probably because, you know, I was, I was um, 
working my game, you know. And so um, her car was in front, parked in front of my car. I remember we went on this retreat, and then we came back. We come back to my house. Someone dropped us off, and then she's like, oh, okay, um, I'm going to go. You know, I'm like, okay, you know, bye. And her car is there, but my car is not there, right? And I remember thinking, uh, like, hmm, I know I parked my car here. It's not here. And then the first thing I thought was, so we go up. I see that it's not there. And Boomi's like, didn't you park your car here? I'm like, yes, I did. And then five seconds later, I go, my car, my car got stolen. Right? That, was the, that was the first thing I thought. And then she goes, what? <laughs> Why? Why would you think your car got stolen? Anything could have happened. You know, it couldn't got towed or, you know, there, there could be a number of things that happened. But I knew <laughs> my car had been stolen because this was not the first time my car had been stolen. This was, in fact, like the sixth time that my car had been either broken into or stolen. And so I knew. I was just like, yeah, I know it's stolen okay, bye, you know, go home. And then I went inside, called the police. You know, they came. I reported it. It, it had, in fact, been stolen. You know, I, I sleuthed and I tracked it down later on, like a couple weeks later. But uh, the point of the story is we know that there is not perfect justice here, right? My car, <laughs> all the cars I've owned have been broken into or stolen I think in total, maybe like 10 times. And um, one, none of those people got caught, right? Like we didn't, none of those people got caught. They just, I happen to have, I happen to own cars that are very easily um, stealable. I don't, is that a word? I don't know. But they're they're easily, you know, they, they can be easily stolen. And so there's a bunch of times people would just, it's probably like some high school kids are just, you know, I don't know, stealing my car and <laughs> driving it around and then dumping it off somewhere. But that happened a bunch of times. And none of them got caught and nothing happened to any of them. And my car was damaged a bunch of times. You know, one time my brother's back window was, was bashed in and all kinds of stuff, right? But we all know what it's like to be a victim of injustice. Justice doesn't always work out. None of those people got caught. I didn't get paid anything from anyone. And these were back in the days when we weren't even forced by the government to have car insurance. And so I got nothing, for, you know, all those times. I think we all feel that in big and small ways. Some of us, we've been the victims of greater injustices, unfortunately. In some sense, we feel unfairness all the time, right? Um, you know, you, you work the hardest, but you are passed over for a promotion, right? The one who gets it is like the most, your most annoying coworker, right? You love and serve your parents with reverence for years, yet your sibling is the one who's commended. You study the most, but you don't get the A. You give the most, but you're not recognized. You're always the best friend, Never the boyfriend, right? Or you feel a sense that someone else deserved justice and they didn't receive it. We've felt that. We've all felt that. We all sense that. Everyone in the world senses that, in fact. The question is, what's the solution? The world's solution today to this generation is to be woke 
right? That's the solution to injustice, to be socially aware of all the perpetrators of injustice, of every infraction, and to keep a record and to call it out whenever you see it. And today, that is social justice currency, right? That is, that, that's your social justice cred. If you are able to identify when other people are doing something wrong, right? If you can point out, if you can drag some kind of uh, racism, if you can drag some kind of discrimination out of them, if you can go through their timeline and find something and you can point it out, then you are woke. You are a part of the social justice brigade. You are the one who is advancing justice in the world. Now, I think it's an incredibly short-sighted solution to justice. Uh, in fact, I often see this notion of justice eating itself. Right? Uh, recently, there was, uh, like, like, Kevin Hart. You know, he was, he was supposed to do the, um, the Oscars. He was supposed to host the Oscars. I don't know if you guys heard this story, but um, people went into his Twitter feed. They found some, uh, I think, like, homophobic things that he had said or jokes he had made about 10 years ago, and they, they mentioned it. They pulled it up, right? And two days after the Academy had announced that he was going to host the Oscars, he was forced to uh, basically withdraw himself from that position because some people found something that he had said, and they were going to punish him for it. Um, now, I'm not saying that he should have said those things. I'm not saying that... I mean, all of the, the whole thing is a mess. So I, don't, I don't even want to really talk about what was right and wrong. I just want to say that that kind of worldview is not really sustainable or consistent. In fact, I was reading this other story. I remember the story that came out a while back, um, about a month ago or a couple of months ago. Um, there was this uh, documentary filmmaker uh, who had teamed up with these three academics, Helen Pluckrose, James, Lin James Lindsay and uh, Peter, I can't say his last name, it's hard. <laughs> um, but they are, they're academics, so one was an English lit and history scholar, one's a math PhD, one's a history of philosophy. And um, they submitted 20 papers to academic journals. And these papers were on things like gender studies, sexuality studies, race studies, critical theory. And um, they submitted all these papers, and they're all basically, they were just, not legitimate. Like, they just made up a lot of the stuff. One of their, uh, one of the papers that they submitted was they took out sections from, it was called Our Struggle is My Struggle, Solidar Solidarity, Feminism, and an Intersectional Reply to Neoliberal Choice Feminism. I don't even know what that means, honestly. But um, they wrote this paper, and then they took out selections from Mein Kampf, you know, Hitler's book, right? And they just repackaged it, and then they published it. And this paper got published in an academic journal. And people were like, man, this is great. They, they did one about uh, rape culture in dogs, dogs at a park, which is like, they're dogs. <laughs> so it just doesn't really make sense. But that actually won an award. And it was just based on nothing. And it's crazy, right? Because I think the world is able 
to identify at times what's wrong with it. But it's unable to help itself. It's unable to fix these problems. There is no standard of truth. There is no consistency. There is no foundation upon which to build an actual just society. The truth of the gospel, this is one of the problems with the idea that to be an advancer of social justice, you have to identify everyone else's errors. The problem is, the truth of the gospel is that we are all oppressed by sin, and we are all oppressors because of sin. So you can't only be calling out other people because we are also oppressors. We are not only victims of injustice, we are perpetrators of injustice. We have done and said and thought and acted in unjust ways towards other people. People around us, people we love, our families, our friends, strangers. The world's solutions don't work. What is God's solution? Well, let's, let's read on in the passage. It says, In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Let's just, let's stop here for a second. Now, something very interesting just happened here. Now, remember the king he's talking about? The king, the humble king, who is going to come from the line of Jesse, you know, the line of David, who's humble yet powerful, who has this perfect sense of justice, who will bring a perfect peace. Now, first of all, his scope is going to be the whole world. The scope of his reign will be global. It will be all the nations. But something real interesting happened right here. It says, in that day, referring to that day when the king comes, in that day, the root of Jesse. Do you guys remember what it said at the beginning? It said, the shoot of Jesse. The shoot, a shoot is a branch, right? A root, the root of Jesse is the source of Jesse. A shoot of Jesse is somebody who comes from Jesse, who's going to come later out of Jesse. But the root of Jesse is somebody who came before Jesse, who Jesse came from. So this person, this king, will be both root and shoot. This king will be both preeminent, the root, and the, the offspring somehow, the, the incarnation, right, the shoot of Jesse. Now, for, for years, okay, God promises these things. You guys remember in week one we talked about Genesis 3, and God says somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to come. Somebody's going to come from Eve 
right? The proto-evangelion 315, somebody's going to come down the line to crush the head of the snake. Somebody's going to come, and God says, somebody's going to come, and this person's going to be a savior, and this person's going to be a king, and this person will bring perfect justice, and this person will bring perfect peace. And one day, someone arrives. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, turn them to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. As was, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus says, remember that king? Remember that king who has promised to come in Isaiah? Remember that king upon whom the spirit of the Lord would dwell? upon whom it would rest. That king who would, who would proclaim good news, that king who would proclaim liberty and who would free the captives and who would bring up the oppressed and who would proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He says, that's me. I'm here. See, our king has arrived and his name is Jesus. And when he finally arrives. Here's the thing about Jesus. When he arrives, when he comes, he comes neither as an oppressor nor to crush all oppressors. Because he's the king. right? He is the righteous king. He's the one who brings justice and perfect peace. But when he arrives, he doesn't come with a sword and a horse prepared to do battle. He comes as a baby in a manger prepared to die. What is God's solution to injustice? He doesn't come to oppress nor to crush the oppressed. He comes to become the oppressed. He says, I will be the oppressed. God's solution to the injustice that exists in our world is to willingly make himself the victim of injustice. Now, he can't crush all the guilty because if he were to, then we would all have to be crushed for we are all guilty. And make no mistake, he'll bring final judgment one day, right? And, and some of the parts of this passage refer to a future, still our future, right? Because not yet do, do the, the lion and the lamb, you know, chill. They don't, they don't just hang out yet, right? Like that's not a reality yet in our world, but it will be one day. So we still have a, a future justice and peace that we are looking forward to. 
But God offers us. Jesus has given us the king. He has inaugurated his kingdom. He has started it. He has taught us how to live justly by himself being treated unjustly. And he accomplishes two things in doing that. In going to the cross, though he was blameless, in dying for our sins, though we're the ones who deserve that death, we are the perpetrators of injustice, but he went in our place. In doing that, he does two things for us. One, we're reminded that we are not only the victims of injustice, but that we are perpetrators. Because Jesus didn't go to the cross only for us. He went to the cross because of us. Yes, he went to the cross for us. But we're also, he also had to go to the cross because of us. So we're reminded we're not only watching a truly innocent man die. Watching a truly 100% innocent person be treated unjustly reminds us that we are not 100% innocent. Yes, we are victims of injustice, but we are also perpetrators of injustice. And two, Jesus going to the cross, even in the midst of great injustice, we have a hope we can lean on. Jesus himself. Because he faced a greater injustice than we will ever face. True justice begins with the understanding that God is neither unfair nor callous. He is neither negligent nor incapable. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, definitionally just, and utterly compassionate. He is the one true and living God, and he has made a way for justice for the world through the sacrifice of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Just a few um, application points before we close. How can we be the agents of God's justice? One, live under God's righteous judgment. Live under God's righteous judgment. Now, I know typically judgment has the connotation of, like, punishment, but and I, that's not what I'm referring to. Like, what I mean is, for us to be able to actually live justly, the first thing we have to declare is, I can't be the judge of that. Right? You have to say, I am not a good arbiter of justice. Like, I'm not a good judge because I'm also an oppressor. I can't be able to identify on my own or by whatever worldly means what is just and what is unjust. I have to rely on someone else, someone who's greater than me. See, this real justice that's built on a foundation has to start with there is a foundation other than me that makes the rules. Like, he is the one who establishes what is truly just because I can only judge by my eyes. I can only judge by my ears. But that's not the way that the true king, Jesus, judges. He judges by the fear of the Lord because that's his delight. So for me, if I am to step into at all the sense that there is, there is true justice, then I have to first submit myself to the judgment of God. And say, God, I'm a perpetrator. I'm certainly a victim of sin. I'm also a perpetrator of sin. 
And that will lead us to forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness. God offers that forgiveness to us freely. If we come to him and we say, God, you're God, I'm not. I need your forgiveness because I am an oppressor and I am unjust. Then he freely forgives us because of Jesus, because of what Christ has done. We will always have that forgiveness. Now, how can we, so how can we exercise this towards other people? And I'll give you two things in terms of other people. One, uh, seek to be with the oppressed. Seek to be with the oppressed. And, you know, Heather actually, she did a a homeless um, kind of a workshop for us to teach us how to, um, you know, love our homeless neighbors better. And one of the things she said that really stuck out to me was she was talking about Jesus as Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is really, that is what Christmas is about. It's about the incarnation, Jesus becoming man and dwelling with his people. And this is one of the, this is one of the the key ways that we are able, this is a, a gospel way that we are able to embody what Jesus has done for us to others, to simply be with, to dwell with, to walk with those who are oppressed. And I would, I would really encourage us, because I know we have that sense sometimes, and, you know, we want to do things, right? We want to do money. We want to, like, come up with some kind of solution. Like, we want to go to the government immediately, and we want to say, well, this needs to happen, and this needs to happen, and this needs to happen. But our, God's calling for us as individuals, as followers of him, is to be able to identify the oppressed and to just to walk with them, right? To love them, to be with them. Here's the here's the second thing for others. Third thing overall, um, this may be the hardest thing, but it is offer forgiveness to your oppressors. Offer forgiveness to your oppressors. So I don't necessarily mean for people who are oppressing other people, right? There is a sense of justice that must be upheld in that kind of situation. But I'm talking about your oppressors. This is individual, not societal. Romans 12, 18, it says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is one of the fundamental principles of the gospel, that evil cannot be overcome by evil. That you can never guilt the guilty into righteousness. It's not possible. You can point out every single one of their flaws and errors. They will never become righteous because of it. You can't shame the evil into good. Not possible. Jesus, when he arrives, he could have arrived in any kind of way, right? He could have came in power, and he could have just pointed out everybody what they were doing wrong, and then just said, you have to change. You have to fix yourself. You have to do better. That's what he could have said, right? He said, come on, leaders, do better. Come on, you poor people, like, pick yourselves up. 
He could have said that. Now, if anyone has a right to say that, Jesus has a right to say that. But he didn't. He came, and to overcome evil, what he did was he let evil, he, he, he let himself become the victim of evil. He said, I will sacrifice myself. I will give up of myself for Jesus to pull people out of darkness into light, to pull us out of death into life. He gave his own innocence to cover our guilt so that we might have life in him. That is, that's our joy. That's our hope. That's our life. And let, let's let our hearts be drawn deeply into that today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are a just and a righteous God. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, God, because our world is just crazy sometimes. God, there is a lot of injustice here. There, are, there is inequity. There are things that are as they should not be. And yet, God, we fully acknowledge that we living here, we are not only victims of that, but we are the perpetrators of that. God, we haven't just... Um, you know, that hasn't just happened to us, God. We've, we've made it happen. thank you so much, God, that um, you know, even in the midst of that, you offer us forgiveness. We thank you so much, God, that you sent your only son to come humbly, yet powerfully to be unjustly killed in our place so that we could be unjustly forgiven. Let that truth dwell in our hearts this season. God, would we celebrate all that we have in you? And would you give us compassionate hearts to love those around us, those who are going through difficult times, and even those who are you know, perpetrators of sin, God we might be able to see your powerful gospel at work. We entrust it to you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.